Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Boyson inviting you to listen to our latest podcast, number 952, with author C. Von Hassett about his new book entitled, Entering the Mind. This podcast, number 952, is brought to you by Susan Shomsky, author of a new book entitled, Prosperity Meditations, Everyday Practices to Create an Abundant Life. If you want to know more about Susan and her events and her book, please visit her website at www.divinerevelation.org. And now for a featured podcast, please listen to my engaging interview with C. Von Hassett about his new book entitled, Entering the Mind. Happy listening. Well, welcome back to Inside Personal Growth again. I say this, Chris, because I have been doing this for a long time. And I think people are so used to hearing me say that they're probably like, when's he ever going to change that up? But <laughs> at any rate, uh, we have Chris Von Hassett joining us. And here's his new book. If you can see it, if you can't, it's Entering the Mind. Uh, this is a Waterside production book. Um, it's great. It's for those of you who are out there that are interested in deepening your practice um, of meditation, but also Chris is going to give us some opportunities to explore how the mind works as too through the questions I'm going to ask. Chris, you're joining us from Joshua Tree, California today. Got to be 100 degrees already. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, luckily, luckily, we're in Pioneer Town, which is about four thousand five five hundred feet. So we're in the nineties, not not in the hundreds. Oh well, that's that's good. You're at an elevation. So yes, normally when you get out into the deserts of California near Palm Springs, this is the time of year that it it can get very toasty, as they say. Yes. So Chris, I'm going to let my listeners know a bit about you. Chris Vaughn has a writer, editor, and the publisher of Riot Material Magazine, of which that website, for those of you who are interested, is very easy to get to. Just go to riotmaterial.com. There you'll learn about the magazine, the art, the books, film, records, Riot Sounds, uh, cinema, He's got it all, and he's been publishing that for quite some time. He's also a decades-long practitioner of Dzogchen. Uh, I hope I pronounced that right. Dzogchen. Dzogchen. You know, it's interesting because I just listened to six different pronunciations on Google, and they're not all the same. Well, I'm sure even I've I've perverted it somehow over the years. So yeah, you know, go to the Tibetan masters to find the real pronunciation. I guess so. And uh, so, Dochen, it's actually you don't even pronounce the D. It's <laughs> yes. say it again. Zogchen. 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 So Zogchen uh, that you just take the D off and go Z O G C H E N. There you go. Um, and then you'll get it. A radical, if not revolutionary, wisdom practice which points. Uh, the practitioner directly toward the recognition of their own mind, uh, but to awaken. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. His first book, The Boundary Stone, is a narrative uh, poem set in embracing effects of the apocalypse. No, Chris, the em- embering afters of an apocalypse. It's, em- it's embering afters of it's apocalypse. a dark one. <laughs> Got to get that one right. Well, this one's not so dark. That's for certain. No. This one's really light and it's good. Uh, Chris has spent much of his life in compl- uh, contemplative retreat. Um, 
And in the later years in the high desert, which we just talked about in Mojave, and he currently lives between two locations with their two dogs, Los Angeles and Joshua Tree. Well, it is good that you act as, actually are practicing what you're preaching. Mm. Um, and I think that's really important. So if you would, please let the listeners know a little more about you. It's very uncommon that in the Western world, we find people that are this deep into this practice. Um, and your focus on this Tibetan practice, which you've learned from the, a master, um, you you do say, though, sometimes people can pick up the books and actually get it, but not usually. Um, and how this has really transformed you. What has it really done to Chris? Well, Chris growing up was, uh, you know, he grew up in Los Angeles uh, in the 60s and 70s and 80s. And, you know, L.A. was a, was a, was a fraught arena for bad behaviors. And as a boy, you know, just watching and also feeling the energies as well of, of that place, uh, I was I, I was always in a state of low grade terror, um, very shy as well, um, very observant, and but questioning. I was questioning everything, and uh, of course that was also the time where on the television as well you're, you're watching you know uh, race race wars across the United States and the Vietnam War, and then you know free love, and so it was very confusing but beautiful in many ways. Um, so I was seeking to, to understand not only this world, but my relationship to it right from day one, basically. And so I was I was reading Black Elk and, uh, you know, going through all the Native American teachings, which are very similar to the Tibetan teachings. Mm -hmm. And um, they eventually led me into towards Buddhism and Buddhism, ultimately through the footnotes of these books that I was reading, pointed me towards this obscure tradition called Dzogchen. And. Once I started reading these texts on Dzogchen, I, I knew that was it. This was this was the truth, at least for me. And mm -hmm. um, it just every every angle you approached it from made sense. There was no false flags in any of it. There was no metaphors that rang untrue. Um, so I just sat with it and just started practicing and learning it and going to masters. And and it took a long time to for me because of course being very shy and also having that low grade kind of fear in me that that kind of roils the mind and it makes it a little more difficult to settle it down but i did it you know zogchen is a beautiful practice that allows anybody who has any kind of issues with um, um depression or fear or anxiety even anger zogchen cuts to the center of that and kind of vaporizes it so um that's and what did you what did you actually do as a vocation during all this time? You see, you you were growing up in the midst of this turmoil, this time and age, and obviously you landed. I would assume doing something. Yes. Um, and it, I'm just curious as to what you were doing because this practice, if you really get as deep into it as you are now, requires a lot more of your attention, your focus, and your time. Yeah. Um, so were you doing that back then, or were you practicing was, this kind of part-time? I was doing it as often as possible. So I, I ultimately landed on becoming a literature professor, a teacher, a high school teacher at Fairfax High School in Los Angeles for many years, and then a professor of literature in New York. Um, but, you know, the, this, this job is kind of great because, you know, you're dealing with all these kids who are – 
bumping around all around you and and you can really bring the practice into the classroom and then you also have this one hour free class that you it's yours to prepare for the next classes or whatever and so i would meditate during that hour i would meditate during lunch and you know meditating with zotan isn't kind of just zoning out you're actually really present and you're observing the here and now within your own awareness and you're actually really trying to negotiate your relationship to your own awareness um so it, it it's it makes it very doable to do any job and to practice zogchen well it it's really cool understanding what you did because it now sets the tone for uh how you got into this and i think that context is really important for the listener they're like okay where did this guy come from what did he do before and i think that's great now in the book you write that there is a place beyond even simple meditation a place where you become aware of your awareness where you become your awareness where you are immersed in it um how would you and i hate to use the word advise but let's just use it advise people to reach this heightened level of awareness during the meditation practice. Because, you know, some of them, you know, we'll talk about chakras here a little bit later on, but the reality is depending on your type, there's so many different types of meditation practices. Yes. Um, So speak with the listeners about that. Well, there are so many meditation practices, as you say, and most of them are pointing you toward emptiness. And there is, an, there is this continual movement of recognizing what is actual in the world, that things are empty. You know, things aren't what we call them. You know, a, a hand is not a hand because when you actually go to look at it, you're looking at fingers, you're looking at fingernails, you're looking at skin. You'll never find the hand in the hand. Ultimately, if you analyze deep enough, you'll go right down to space. So this is what they mean by things are empty. They're empty of what we call them. They're not inherently what we say they are. So this is the emptiness that we're seeking to understand from a practitioner's perspective. What Dzogchen is is teaching us to do is not only get, become under uh, one-to-one with his emptiness and, and truly know it through, through actual insight, but at the same time, what is, what is one-to-one with the emptiness is our awareness. Awareness is the source of if we had no awareness, we wouldn't even know the emptiness. If we had no awareness, we wouldn't know anything. We would be dead. So um, the Dzogchen says the, the emptiness and awareness are singular. They're, they're inseparable. And this is unusual for all other meditations. All other meditations are pointing us only to emptiness, and they don't necessarily speak to the awareness being united with that. And so in... So now we have to see these things from when you're initially practicing, you're coming at it from two things, understanding the emptiness and understanding the awareness. Eventually they will merge. Um, but to understand the awareness, you've got to look for the source. And this is the, the, the metaphor of the snake eating its own tail, where we're seeing what's in front of us, but what is it that's seeing? You know, at first we think it's our body and it's our mind and it's our eyes. And we, we don't really think too much about it, but when we start trying to uh, point ourselves into it. We point to the fabrics of ourselves to figure it out. In reality, though, it's coming from a zero point. It's coming from, you'll never find it. And this is the, this is where you land when you ultimately settle into what's called the natural state. And then once you're there, you kind of rest in the state and you just get to know it. Like you try to get to know an old friend. 
you know, it it's it, it would be interesting, I think, when you track many of these meditation practices back by a lineage, um, what was the origination of kind of the lineage of this? Because that might interest actually some of the, the listeners. Yes. Um, because how you derive or how you get at this, I mean, I've had several Rinpoches on, on our program. Um, and when you talk about, I think I, I, I told you and your wife a story about a meditation retreat I was at and they, uh, um, uh, a Buddhist monk came and he goes, Hey, I want to watch because I want to know how much time I have left. You know, the reality is the way they think about the present is really so much different. And so, and it's so much different to the Western world that it's just, it's like we're on opposite ends of the, yes. of the world, right? Where does the lineage come from? How did it get where it is? And a kind of a brief overview of that. I think it would be good for the listeners. Yeah. So um, the first bit might be a bit hard for, for your listeners to swallow is all of the Dzogchen masters speak to this teaching being timeless, ageless, beyond earth. In fact, they speak to it in uh, being taught in 13 different solar systems around the universe. Um, when you ultimately, when you're meditating and you ultimately kind of begin to settle into this natural state, you get why they're saying this, because really there is no time. There is, there's only space and our, there's our awareness. And so our, our awareness is not bound by the confines of this earth nor time. So you can understand when you become an accomplished practitioner that you could receive these teachings from higher level beings in different parts of the universe. That makes sense. Um, in the historical lineage, as far as I'm understanding it, it's coming through Buddha Shakyamuni, the original Buddha. And in the Bond tradition, it comes through another Buddha. I can't remember his name again, um, but they're, they're kind of sim uh, similar figures. Um, and this is where Dzogchen is kind of introduced along with Buddhism at the multiple levels that it's being taught at. And Dzogchen at that point, and still today, is considered the peak of Buddhism. It's the peak of Bon. And um, you really have to kind of go through the whole tree of Buddhism to kind of rise up into being able to even receive these teachings when Tibet was the high period of this teaching. Well, you, you said in the book that it's kind of hard to find a master even uh, to teach with, and you you did, and that's... That's excellent. Um, and I and I honor that because this book exposes something a lot of people are not exposed to, but it gives them a choice now, yeah. right? A different choice, a different path that they could go on. And I, I was very taken about the chapters and the sections in the book about, you know, you speaking in the uh, um, eclipse and revelation, you speak about uh, the glyphosate and that attacks the microbiome and then creates havoc with our body. I was reading that and I was getting it very much. And then you mentioned that this high incidences of cancer as a result of these chemicals being put on crops. And then you go into talking about finding our higher selves or recognize the nature of our innate mind when the body itself is hemorrhaging from within, meaning, you know, you're taking in these substances of which are man-made, many of them, and are affecting our body. But there's all kinds of ways for us to, as you want to call it, be bombarded or hemorrhage from 
feelings, emotions, chemicals, foods, you name it, the world, the environment, the news, the everything we're taking in. And you say, if we are to reach a heightened state of awareness, uh, what do we need to be aware of when it comes to taking care of our physical vehicle is my question. Because the physical vehicle, which has to be finely attuned to be able to do the practice, needs to have that uh, awareness. I'm glad you actually put that in the book. Uh, Explain more, though, because I think a lot of people are not there ready physically yet. Because there's not much out there that tells us that what we're eating is poisoning us. Um, Most of the food systems in the world are saturated with pesticides. And there's one key pesticide, as you mentioned, glyphosate. That is literally destroying the planet. It's killing off the oceans. It's killing off the, the barrier reefs. It's killing river systems. Um, these pesticides are meant for one thing. They're meant to kill. They're meant to kill something, a plant and a bug, uh, uh, certain elements of the soil, bacteria. And they're doing a great job of it. They're literally just sterilizing the planet. But they're also, when we ingest them, they go right into us and they kill our microbiome. And our microbiome is the soil of our body. And so if if we're becoming uh, toxified and inflamed and, you know, just totally getting sick, this is going to be very difficult for you. If your goal in this life is to kind of awaken to your spiritual purpose, it's going to be very difficult if your body is is sick. So it's really easy to clean up the body. And I, I mentioned organic in the book. Organic, as everybody says, is not perfect, but it's most people now have access to organic foods. Almost every supermarket in in the United States that I know of, that I've been into, um, you'll find an organic section. And this, if you just eat only organic for a few weeks, you're going to start to feel better. Your depression is going to start to lift. Your diabetes is going to start to kind of dwindle away. Um, Your ability to walk, arthritis, all of these things, uh, you know, glyphosate is linked to Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, autism. I mean, just you name it. And this is in most of the food on the supermarket shelves. So most people have access to organic, eat organic. And this alone is going to help you enliven your spirit, enliven your body. And then that'll allow you to take the next step to whatever you sense is wrong with you next to address that problem. But first get the soil of your body cleaned up. And then if you really, if, if your practice is to enlighten, now you have an opportunity to recognize your own mind in its natural state because you can't see it when it's covered in a fog. Well, I think what you say and what you wrote in the book is so important, and it brings awareness to the fact that people should pay attention to that. Uh, What I do see happening in this Western world, and I'll address that, isn't one of my questions, but and I'm I'm not the only one that has this dis-ease. It's it really is the time boundness of our world. In other words, we live within. Hey, look, you and I agreed to do a podcast at eleven, so yeah. I have to be here, set up, make sure I'm here. One side of us says, "Oh darn, I have to do that." And again, it's another thing I have to do today. If you if you get where I'm going, yes, because it's just all about time. Yes, it's about time. And I'm doing a really cool podcast on anti-time management from a guy hmm. in Hawaii. That great. And I and I I ask this question of you because if people are going to do any of these practices, they need to free up 
themselves from the boundness and the constraints of their mind associated with time. Yeah. Do you, would you agree, disagree? I mean, what, what comment would you say, Chris? Well, I, I, you know, as conceptual beings, we're in a state of time. At, at, you know, one of the three times we're in all the time. Um, it takes practice, actually, to un- begin to understand that there's the fourth time, which is the no time. And this is the time of the awakened beings of, of and also the nature around us. Nature is totally in the fourth time. It doesn't, it right. doesn't align itself with past, present, and future. It's just simply here and now. So we're, we're one of the only beings in the universe that really are bound into the structure of time, but it takes practice. So you can't just, you can't just tell yourself, I'm going to step out of time and, 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 understand it but you will come to understand it if you begin to practice and and especially with zogchen as you begin to settle into the awareness slash emptiness nature of mind you'll see it you see it firsthand and you totally understand it from an experiential place not an intellectual place and then only then can you begin to start moving through the world with that sense of knowing and feeling no longer strongly bound to the time frames that were in our calendars, you know, our appointments, uh, everything about this world. So, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a conundrum. I think that people yes. have, and the conundrum is I live in this world where it is. I have to do certain things to survive, to exist, to feed my family, to do whatever. Again, yeah. those are the constraints. The non-constraints would be the time that they can free up to do this practice, yes. to take a walk in the woods, to walk on the beach, anything which is contemplative yes. uh, that gets their mind away from all of the activities associated to time boundness. Now, in your chapter, Returning to Light, you speak about the practices we can do to teach a heightened consciousness. And uh, can you discuss some of the practices of becoming a better uh, sensor of the body and feeling the chakras? Now, you know, and uh, we talked, uh, I'm a devotee of self-realization fellowship. Chakras are talked about a lot where the energy begins in the crown chakra all the way down through all the chakras. Yeah. I think it'd be a good idea because people, I, when they do understand the significance and power of the chakras and how they, when they're aligned, the whole body's aligned, when the whole body's aligned, the experience of meditation actually shifts. Yes, totally. So uh, let's you take it from there. Return yeah. to light. So the book, the book is kind of structured in such a way as, okay, we've, we need to retrain ourselves to be aware. And the first place we put that awareness is getting the body healthy, cleaning up, choosing which we, what we want to put in the body. And then once we start to feel better because we're eating organic, we're drinking less, maybe doing less smoking or whatever, then now you use that same awareness and you bring it inward and you start to focus it on these places in the body that you haven't paid any attention to all your life, perhaps like your feet, bringing the awareness down into the feet, bringing it into the legs. And you're, you're consciously placing the awareness there. This is a training of sorts because now you're, you're, you're learning to manage your own awareness and you're placing it in very key areas that are desperate for it because when your awareness is in the body, it makes it hard for illnesses to enter. If the awareness is elsewhere, then illnesses just come right in. You know, the king's gone. Here come here come the people to steal everything you have. So um, 
And then, as you say, as, as we move up, move the awareness up in this practice, you place, start placing in the chakras and you start feeling the chakras as ent- energy centers of the bodies. And these are key centers of the body that when they're closed, they make it very difficult. They become obstacles to uh, holding your awareness steady. And for me, I can speak to, at, for, many, for many years of my life, I felt my heart was closed or stopped or had some sort of obstacle, like a, a, some, a wound. And I felt just through putting my awareness in this practice right in my heart and just observing it all and just observing it move in and out of that chakra, that that alone totally, I mean, I started feeling my heart in ways that I hadn't felt since I was a child and feeling emotion again and then in my throat. And then so this whole region, so so my point is you could start now placing your awareness with purpose. And this is just the beginning of learning to, kind of handle your awareness and get to know your awareness and ultimately become one with it and stabilize in it. The conditioning in which we are brought up in has a huge effect on what you basically just said, you know, the openness of your heart, feeling yeah. that, or, you know, we look at all the chakras, the throat, I mean, the the stomach, yeah. um, you know, your reproductive organs area. I mean, you know, you can look at the energy that's flowing in and you can feel it. Like you said, yeah. you were feeling constricted. Um, and when you get to the root cause of it, it's quite a release. This practice of meditation, I will tell my listeners, can help you get to the realization of the root cause of it, yeah. right? And effectuate a change, uh, effectuate a positive change, I should say. Yeah. Now, you mentioned that every thought, every sound, everything that passes through your sight takes place in the present. I couldn't agree more. Uh, and that's all we've really got. And we just, you talked about this a minute ago. Can you speak with the listeners a little bit more in depth about the fourth time and what you refer to as insight meditation? Because that maybe many of my listeners haven't heard of um, before. Well, again, yeah, it's like you said, you could speak to these same things from different places, different perspectives. And this is another one where, um, you know, when we speak of the present, uh, what, especially in meditation, what we're really more speaking to is this idea of presence. Because present being the present is a construct, as so is the past, so is the future. It's part of this whole time construct that we as conceptual beings have just it's kind of almost a natural natural way of seeing things but presence is something that kind of allows us to enter into what is known as the fourth time if you were to look into deep space from anywhere and just look at the sky and look deep deep into space you would recognize that there is no time out there there's simply this gigantic emptiness well we label it as time so we label it's like david bohm you know the quantum physics right guy did you study any of his books or read any? Definitely, of them? definitely. Okay. So, you know, look, we the mere fact that we put labels on stuff and categorize stuff uh, starts to then create the structure in which our mind automatically defaults to. Yes, you're asking people, and I get this, to deconstruct that to yeah. find the point in which they can enter the wholeness at which they would like to become yes. the freedom in which they would become deconstructing is not an easy thing, Chris. Um, well, this and, is where and, insight meditation comes in the okay. insight meditation, because 
the, the beautiful thing about this practice is you're not actually doing anything except for the practice. And in doing the practice, things begin to fall apart on their own. So yeah. this idea of deconstruction is, it sounds like something active is taking place, but in reality, all you're doing is, is observing. You're sitting down and observing your own awareness. That's the insight part, because otherwise when you're looking at emptiness and you're just trying to focus on emptiness, you're still in a mode of grasping or a mode of you're grasping the emptiness. But when you're allowing the awareness to observe the emptiness without doing anything else, without thinking about it, now you're in, now you've moved up into what's called insight meditation. And this is where the insight of simply resting in the observance begins to feed in knowledge. And this knowledge on its own begins to break down the fabrics of our conceptual constructive mind, which includes the idea of time. Well, and I think over a period of practice, you would start to recognize that deconstruction and recognize what you're actually doing to yourself during the construct. Yes. I mean, I mean, I know that sounds kind of silly, but in reality, people do things blindly and don't even realize they're doing them. In yeah. essence, this practice makes you aware of the construct you've created yeah. so that you can modify that construct. Does that, and, yes, does that and, resonate with you at all? Yeah, and, and, and it and it, it it's it's also moves in a logical fashion. The the constructs that begin to break down are the larger, more apparent ones. Right. And then you think you're making progress, and then you recognize that you, you have these more nuanced constructs that you're still, you know, tripping up over, and you begin to recognize those, and then those begin to break down, and then it gets subtler and subtler. So even even as you move through the practice and you get more advanced, you begin to recognize that you're still tripping up over your own feet half the time uh, because you're, you've emotionally connected in a way that, you know, you've been triggered somehow. So the constructs well, keep coming. You, you have to be with it and let go of it. Yeah. And that's, you know, the Dalai Lama says that a lot, you know, you're what you're going to be remembered by in this world is how much you loved, how many people loved you and how much you let go. Um, Well, the letting go part is really the construct. Um, That's that's our story. Now, you state in the chapter on transmission that uh, Dzogchen instruction is almost always taught by a qualified master. You mentioned that some individuals are naturally inclined and can read the teachings on the page and they can solidly make some way or change on their own. But you said not very many. You said it's not very many. How would our listeners that are interested after we're now talking about this find a qualified master to work with in this lineage? Well, I, I mentioned five right at the beginning of the book. I kind of dedicate the book to these five. I, I think three of them are still alive. Um, Sonia Rinpoche is a great master. Uh, Tenzin Wangyu Rinpoche is another great master. The Dalai Lama is still out there. He's a Dzogchen practitioner. Um, you know, there, there are many masters. In fact, they're, I think they're now becoming more and more accessible now that the internet is, is up. Um, there are so many masters that have just been teaching in their little monasteries for, for decades and totally unrecognized. These, these guys are, are now becoming a little more known. But so you mentioned more- them. So if our listeners typed into the internet and looked for them, some of them may have websites. There's some way to reach them. There's yeah. some way to get involved with a practice because of now with, you know, who knows how you would do it, but I would think it would be one-on-one, but maybe they're doing it by a Zoom. I don't know. 
<laughs> they uh, they have been. Uh, yeah. I know in the past few years they've been doing very well over Zoom. Um, okay. This okay. is why you know this is why you know like the old days I think are gone in the sense that you had to go sit with a master and spend years with them, and only then did you have any chance of enlightening. It's not so true anymore. Not only because consciousness is evolving and, and humanity is evolving and the teachings are evolving, but now we have all these access points, including Zoom. Um, but there's also there, there, these masters of traveling. They're coming any somewhere near you once or twice a year. Yeah. So you, you can avail yourselves to them whenever you when whenever you're ready. Well, I'm glad that you've actually brought awareness to the fact that this is a practice. And that there's access to these masters uh, that they mm. can take lessons from. You also mentioned that when sitting in meditation, um, you and you observe the space of empty mind to see. And indeed, just as a master pointed out, uh, it has no shape, no color, no location or destination. It has no inside or out or up or down. It is it is not past. Uh, when a past is directly looked for, and you find no future either. That's quite a statement, because what you're saying is, it's nothingness. Um, it That's kind of my awareness. But you explain here is a state of emptiness. How does practicing this meditation help us open to greater levels? And, th- and this is my own spin on this. Um, creativity, because you would think, that at that heightened state of awareness, that you could be in an extremely creative state, meaning you could channel through or bring through some energies that would make you much more creative. Yeah. I think even Lynch, David Lynch speaks to this idea of, um, you know, he meditates to catch the big fish that, you know, so when he, when he goes deep into his meditation practice, this is where some of his greatest ideas come from. So creativity and and kind of resting in this natural state that we speak to in Dzogchen, they are kindred. They work together very well. You can really come out with a lot. And, you know, the creative individual is is a meditative individual in many ways. They're working alone in their studios for long periods of time. They're They're tapping deep into themselves to kind of draw out something that is unique in the world of art. And, you know, with magazine write material that I have, I'm always kind of looking for that, that art, that expression that is interesting and unique and current. It's not derivative in any way. And our inner world is current. It's not derivative. And so if you just want to enter in that world and kind of have access to all the creative energies you'll ever need, this is the place to find it. You won't find it out there. You, you could study the masters and this is, you need to as a literature professor, as a writer, you begin by lo- reading your favorite authors and you begin by studying all the great writers. But at some point you let them all go because if you have, to, if you're going to be one of those creative individuals that's on par with those greats, you have to let them go. So this is what uh, going within does that allows us to, to kind of own our own, our own interior world and bring it out. It's the only way you're going to be truly uniquely creative. Yes. Um, you know, I know, People say, well, I borrow an idea from here, or I borrow an idea, and I hobble something together. And that's fine, too. I mean, it is, a, it is a creation. And if that's the spark that you need, that's awesome. But if you can go into this meditation, I think most of the time it's going to be uniquely creative. 
uh, versus borrowing a piece here and borrowing a piece there uh, because you have emptied the mind. Um, You know, you do walk people through kind of these stages of this meditation in the book. I was reading that part and I didn't ask a lot of questions about that, but if you would, would you give the listeners kind of an idea of Dzogchen? Um, And I mean, you talk about the breathing, you talk about the practice, and I wanted to get that in because I hadn't thrown a question in, but I thought you could address it a bit here. Yeah. Well, the, the, the kind of questions you brought up a few minutes ago about, you know, is it, is it have it, does it have a shape? Does it have a color? Does it have, you know, a past to it? Where does it begin? Where does it go? How far away? These are the questions that the master will ask you when he's saying, I want you to look into your own mind. And I want you to, when you're looking at this mind, do you see a shape? No, I don't. And it's always, the answer is always in the negative, but this is, it, it's, it's an affirmation when you recognize when you're actually seeing that what I'm seeing has no shape, has no color. No, no. Now, you know, you're at the door of your own awareness, uh, the source of your own awareness. And so then the master would say, stay right there, rest there, observe it. And in observing it, this non-space begins to kind of open up and what's, what enters it is our awareness and we then begin to observe our awareness as it's entering the space of emptiness. And that's all we're doing in, in Dzogchen practice. And you just do this day in and day out. And as you do, this space begins to open up and become, it begins to just kind of reveal itself in, in as an entirely new world in many ways. Uh, it's the same world we're in, but it, it's, it's magical. Well, you know, um, I had Ram Das on here many years ago. And uh, obviously, he and Timothy Leary experimented with LSD and all kind of psychotropics. And so my point was, in today's world, you see people doing microdoses. Where do you stand on kind of this opportunity to open the mind, to enter the mind? Because they're going to places that they couldn't normally go, or they're doing ayahuasca, or whatever it might be that's giving them this this bit of a trip, so to speak. Yeah, um, I, I say if the opportunity arises, take that opportunity. These these um, especially ayahuasca, especially mushrooms, um, they bring you right to the very state that all Dzogchen practice, practitioners are trying to access. It takes you there. It allows you to see it. It allows you to get familiar with it, and then of course you leave it. Right. You don't have the skills to get there on your own, but through Dzogchen practice, you've developed, you're developing the path that ultimately takes, takes you there. And actually it's true. Um, there was, I, I did a mushroom trip a couple years back that utterly affirmed my practice. And it was from that moment forward that I began to stabilize in my practice because I now had an experiential one to one knowing that the mushrooms themselves, which are a gift from our earth, uh, they're perfectly in sync with our, our, our psychic systems that if, and microdosing doesn't take you there. You got to do a kind of a macro dose. You got to do mm-hmm. a big dose to kind of like move past the body and move past all of our, the constructs of mind, obliterate all those. And then you're there, you're there and you're, you're recognizing, you're experiencing, you're tasting uh, this world, this, this, this perspective. 
And then you can go back and meditate for six months, a year. You don't have to do micro, you don't have to do another dose. You just use that experience as a one-to-one kind of pointing out for you. Cause we call them the pointing out instructions that the master will give you from his mouth to your ears. Mushrooms will do that too. If you have an understanding of where, what you're looking for, yeah. if you don't know what you're looking for, you're going to miss it. But if you already have an understanding of what you're looking for, the mushrooms will say, there it is also. So they're great. Well, Zochen is a way to get there if people have some type of fear about doing that. Um, and yes. I know there is apprehension and fear about it because it's a place people haven't gone. Yeah. And so um, it's interesting to look at. Now, you state that the mind looks itself sees itself, recognizes itself, and then it rests in recognition. Uh, mind, see mind, and in this reorientation view of the subject-object duality uh, that momentarily dissolves. And you were talking about this earlier, the serpent that's kind of eating its tail, and I, I assume it's called Orboros. Orboros? Uh, that was the chapter title that you had. Uh, represents the eternal cycle of destruction and rebirth. Yeah. Uh, can you speak about that? Because in essence, we said this earlier, you know, if you have a construct and you deconstruct the construct and you kind of, you, it goes to death. In other words, you're it's dying and reborn and dying and reborn and dying and reborn. Comment about this, Oberos. So, um, so the, the, when you're looking, what you're doing is you're turning your awareness back in on itself, because again, habitually, we kind of observe the world from our eyes outward. And really what Dzogchen is asking of us is, okay, what is the source of that awareness? What, you know, find the source. And so we begin to look inwards. And as we settle in there, we begin to what this destruction that you talked about and rebirthing. What dies is the ego eventually, because you understand as you turn the, the awareness in that there is no source. It's not the body. It's not, not the, the physical mind. And this is a big blow to the ego. Once we, once the, you know, the, the, we move beyond the ego and recognize that the ego again is another construct. It, it arises out of the thinking process. Where do thoughts begin? You look for that as well. You see they come out of nothingness. So this, it's just this internal looking that uh, begins to obliterate the ego. And when the ego begins to fall away, the awareness self, the awareness being the uh, eyeless entity uh, rises. And this is the entity that we see in all awakened beings, including the Dalai Lama. Well, you speak about that in your chapter, I Entity, and you discuss the concept of the body as 99.99% empty. Probably hard for a lot of listeners listening to like conceive that, that 99% empty. Um, it, it seems so strange. The only relation I have to it is, you know, they do say when a person dies, they can measure the small amount of energy that actually moves because the body's weight changes yeah right it might be a very small amount but it's a small amount call that what you will i think some people out there that are listening might be agnostic might not have a belief in a higher world or higher power and many of them do and again this concept seems strange can you explain the concept and discuss what you refer to as plank and the psus that you referred to in the book 
Right. So, you know, quantum physics is, is now affirming what the Buddhists have been talking about for centuries, right. that we are virtually total emptiness. And what quantum physics is telling us today is we are not only just total emptiness, we are almost total space. So when they when they get those micro microscopes, those quantum microscopes on on the body, they they go right past the flesh, past all the material within, and you're into un, entire universes of space, um, and all that space is taking place within our cell structures, within the atom, between between like the proton and the atom's outer shell. Right. There's so much space between that that it's just mind boggling, and then between the proton and what is known as the Planck, and Quantum physics, again, is speaking to the Planck and the Planck spherical units, which is the ocean of Planck's that moves throughout the universe. This is basically the full energy of the universe is taking place in, in the Planck energy right in front of us. You can vaporize all the oceans on the planet just through the energy of like a cup full of this Planck energy right in front of us. It's it's because there's so much spin going on in this in these plonks, but they're they're way down there. On on I don't even think they can see them on uh, with quantum telescopes, but they've calculated them. They they understand their mass, they understand their spin. So this is all the essence of our body. Um, if we were to look at the body from the level of the plonk or even the proton, you would see what we see when we look up at the night sky. We would see a universe that seems to be sparkling and seems to be way far apart. But in reality, it's a human body. And this is true for all, all mass in the universe. Um, all mass is 0.01% matter, and the rest is space. So this is a space that we're trying to engage with in our meditation practice. And with our eyes, we can't see it. But when we actually get into what we call this natural state, the, the nature of mind, this, this essence of ourselves, you very much see it. You very much see the body as this spacious, empty thing that is a beautiful, beautiful um, kind of vessel for us to remain stable in this life so we can receive the teachings, so we can develop our higher selves. The body gives us that. But the body is is kind of an illusion in terms from the other perspective, from the spiritual perspective. Right. Well, I like how you explained it. And I think one of the ways that people might relate is, you know, you look at earth and you look at all of the other galaxies, you look at all the stars and you really start to begin to realize how small this is in the overall. And we don't know how many light years out there, and how many other planets and other the stars and, and black holes there are and all that kind yeah. of thing. So you can see that the amount of space is an infinitum. Okay. It's infinity. Now, Chris, what takeaways would you like to leave our listeners with regarding entering the mind and how can they start to create a practice of meditation, Zochen? Uh, that would totally transform their perception of their current reality. Um, and I, and I think when you do start a practice like this, you do actually transform your perception of reality. There, it'd be impossible not to. Um, so I, I, I would ask you as somebody who's been practicing this for years and years and practice with a master, maybe what, maybe the other question is, is what could they expect? If, if they're not attached, if 
Let's go to non-attachment here. I don't want to have any expectation of what's going to occur, what could occur. But for somebody who's been through it, to give some people a, a foundation, what may th- what might they expect? Well, I like the, the, the fact that you use the word attachment because we're all attached to our own stories. We're attached to our history. You know, I could be proud of being a teacher and, you know, be proud of being a meditation practitioner. And I've done so many things in my life. And these are, these create stories that we are attached to, families that we are attached to. Um, this is, this is beautiful. Um, but what this practice does, it allows us to see that those are kind of like constructions of our lives and we can become less attached to all the stories, including stories of abuse, stories of, of trauma, all the stories that kind of keep us constricted. So that is the initial thing that you can expect. You can expect to kind of awaken beyond that and kind of lose your attachment to your own fear lose your sense of definition of I'm a depressed person or I'm, I, I'm unlovable. Um, I'm an angry person or I'm abusive. Any of these stories that are, are fixed in place will begin to lose their toehold with this practice. The beautiful thing about Dzogchen is that you, you cannot and you never will become bored. And this is the problem, I think, with many meditation practices that most people don't know why they're meditating. You know, they, they, they think they're meditating to relax or they think they're meditating to kind of like become a little bit more open in the world. But Dzogchen is giving you a real purpose. It's, it's saying if you do this, you are going to become enlightened at some point. It could be in this lifetime, but it could be in the next lifetime, it could be in the death process. And the philosophy alone on an intellectual level is just fascinating. So you can be reading it. I've been reading the same text for 30 years and trying to find new texts by new teachers and getting a new take on it. My take on it is very different than the great masters because I wanted to contribute something new from a kind of Western practitioner's perspective. Um, so there's all these amazing takes on it that keep you intellectually stimulated. But then as you begin to move inward and begin to explore your own inner inner world, it literally is like stepping into the seven wonders of the world, like looking over the Grand Canyon. You're in awe of the inner space that you're seeing. And this, again, brings a certain joy and uplifting into the, the general perspective in the world where all the things that used to weigh you down begin to fall away. So you won't get bored. You're intellectually stimulated. I think this is the great things that you can expect from a beautiful practice um, that is entirely your own. Nobody else can touch this. This is yours, and you can nurture it the way you want to nurture it. Well, and I, I would assume, and I've been practicing, but that it would help people to remove many of the fears that they um, are self-imposed. Yes. You now they, they, they have these sayings in personal growth books, 99.9% of all the things you think are going to happen really aren't going to happen to you, but you've already conjured up some story and, yes. and start to live it out. Right. So this is a way for you to um, disengage from that story. Yeah. Um, this is a way for you to regularly get away from those combating energies which are trying to occupy the space in your mind to fill it with something and you said the ego and we know frequently that's you know i have a friend that used to say with me ego was edging god out um you know and and find this place of whether you're spiritual not but i i look at it and i say mind body spirit 
there is this huge spiritual element to all of this. And it is for you to awaken to and figure it out and understand it. And no matter what form it takes uh, to do the practice, because the longer you do the practice, the better it gets. Yeah. Um, and I would say with that, um, I would invite all of my listeners to go out to Amazon. We're going to put a link. Uh, the book is called Entering the Mind. And we've been on with Chris Von Hassett. The other place to go is riotmaterial.com. There he's got all kinds of resources for you. I think everyone will find that website quite interesting. You also sent in the thing that you sent to me a link to a three-part series interview that sounded like uh, your wife was doing it with you. Um, Yeah, you met Rachel. Rachel and I speak for a couple hours as our own little podcast that you'll find on Riot Material. Yeah. Uh, or, and, or go to enteringthemind.com and it takes you to the same same yeah. region. It's it's a great three-part series, and I'm going to invite my listeners to go and to get the book. Uh, Chris, it's been a pleasure. Namaste to you. Thank you so much, thank Greg. You, it's been thank wonderful. You. Thank yes. you for being on and taking a few minutes to talk with, uh, with my listeners uh, about Do Chin and Entering the Mind. And you really did a very good book a, a really good book here of just giving a i'm going to call it a, a big overview of a lot of things but you distilled it down into bite-sized pieces that i think are digestible great so that's what's important because i think when people are reading something and they you don't know what level they are you have to meet them where they are yes. and i will say to my listeners chris did a good book to meet you where you are or and or you want to go to. How's that? So wonderful. Wonderful. Thanks. Thank thanks for that, Chris. What a great show. You, you're, you're doing amazing work and I, I'd love to come back on anytime. I'd love to have you. Great. Take care, Greg. Thank you for listening to this podcast on Inside Personal Growth. We appreciate your support. And for more information about new podcasts, please go to InsidePersonalGrowth.com or any of your favorite channels to listen to our podcast. Thanks again and have a wonderful day.